I'm Jay Pitts, a real estate broker, agent, leader, and investor. For the last decade, I've navigated the craziest of real estate markets this country has ever seen, selling over 2,000 homes, moving in and out of markets, always ahead of the curve. And now I'm bringing that perspective to you. This is your resource, and Real Talk About Real Estate starts right now. And welcome back, everybody, to Resource Real Talk about Louisville Real Estate. I'm your host, Jay Pitts. I am here with an intrepid guest today. I hope that adjective uh, holds true after the information that he provides you. I see him smiling already. Mr. Brian Wiegant, president of Century Mortgage Company and a longtime friend. Brian, welcome. Thank you, Jay. I appreciate you having me on today. Dude, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, you know, we had a we had a brief conversation, and and just so you're aware, this is the second episode of Resource since we took a bit of a hiatus with COVID. Um, we had a home inspector on last week, so the bar is set really low for you. No, I'm just I'm just kidding. Nick Wright with Right Choice Home Inspections was our guest last week, and we talked about some very valuable information for agents to use as they approach showings, as they approach the pre-listing process with their sellers. But you and I had like, you know, an interesting conversation as we often do. Brian and I, um, for those of you that that don't know us and, and know that we know each other for quite some time, we met when I was 18 years old as a um, very excited and... Uh, you know, I don't even know, green to the ways of the world, uh, college freshman at Bellarmine University. Brian was an assistant baseball coach. His brother, Scott Wiegant, was my head coach, who is now the athletic director over at Bellarmine. Um, and, and Brian was the... Uh, Brian was the was the good cop to that good cop, bad cop relationship. Was that fair to say, Brian? Yeah, the fun coach. The fun coach. He got to be the fun coach. The fun coach that got the players in trouble by insisting that they should do things that would get them in trouble. But, you know. Get under my brother's skin a little. Just, just to get under the skin, right? So anyway, <laughs> so Brian actually, it, it, funny enough, and I've talked to him about this before, inspired me. He and I, uh, he was he was still hanging on to the playing side of his playing career in summer ball at Derby City Field playing for playing for Star, Star Drywall and I had the pleasure of playing on that team as well and Brian had just gone into the mortgage business um as as I was maybe a sophomore junior in college and it inspired me actually in conversations we had back then to to take to try my hand at the mortgage business after college um you know, we, we didn't work together, but uh, stayed in close contact. And then obviously when I made the transition into real estate, Brian was one of the go-to resources and he and I have been kind of working together ever since. So I'm happy to bring him to you today because I know he has an intimate knowledge of how the availability of mortgage lending and, you know, the trends in our market and how they impact how you as real estate agents find the ability to to help your clients achieve their desired outcomes. So as he and I were having our conversation a couple of weeks ago in, in really coming to the idea that we wanted to do this episode, I started thinking about, you know, a lot of the, the, the verbiage you heard at the beginning of the pandemic back in March, right? You know, the black swan event, right? The, which has a negative connotation, right? It's something that has a potential negative impact on your life that you didn't see coming. 
right? That was that was most of us. That was the situation we were in. We were poised and prepared for another great year in the real estate business. Um, and obviously, we we got thrown a thrown a big curveball. Um, but since then, in the months, weeks, and months since, what we've grown to understand is that if not the economy as a whole, the real estate market at minimum has experienced a very V-shaped recovery. We saw a pause for the month of April and the er- and early May, and then essentially a spike in demand, which made our already short supply of inventory painfully inadequate. And, you know, we have seen, and, and, and I, I checked the numbers this morning, and in fact, we are down about 7 or 8% in terms of sale count in 2020 versus 2019. But Brian and I, and, and my conversation with him, came to this conclusion that um, regardless of that inventory challenge, regardless of this being a very pronounced seller's market, that it is in fact a great time for buyers as well, which in my career, um, you know, which those of you that follow the show know that I've been around the real estate industry my entire life. In my career, I've never seen those two things be simultaneously true. It was prices are up, okay, so, and it's a seller's market, and or there is no supply, and therefore it's a seller's market, or inventory is really high, and prices are depressed, and therefore it's a buyer's market. Brian, talk to me about how interest rates have had an impact. And we talked about it just before the show, just the very simple difference between where rates are today versus where they were two, three, five, seven years ago. How does that make this a great market for buyers as well? Well, I mean, the first thing I want everybody to understand is what a stud baseball player Jay was. I mean, anybody listening to this, I mean, my dad absolutely thought Jay Pitts was the next Jose Canseco. Oh, great, great. Jose Canseco? You're a little swelled up now. It's okay. Oh, my God. So just yeah, anybody, yeah. you know, we've got to make sure that people understand, you know, the depths of our relationship. So, <laughs> Well, just so you're aware, before we went live today, he, he, started, he started off by criticizing the gray hair and my beard. And, which... and of course, in Jay fashion said, oh, it's distinguished. It is distinguished. It is. Well, I mean, if Bri- it's nothing if Brian and I don't dis- have a deep discussion at every closing we've ever done together of each other's attire. You know, Brian's in the three-piece suit looking like he stepped off of Wall Street, and I roll in in a pair of boots and uh, boots and, and jeans and a polo shirt. But you not know, any- Hey, not anymore. It's COVID time. There's nobody <laughs> here. You can't see anybody. No. So what you're telling us is that you may or may not be wearing pants. I'm sorry, folks, for that visual, but... I've we got don't flip know flops that. on. It's all right. It's all flip right. Nobody flops. needs okay. to know that. All right. Okay. okay. So let's get back to interest rates. Talk to me about interest yes, rates, sir, please. Okay. So so after we talked a little bit, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and and then even some this morning, I looked um, last year date of today, a thirty year interest rate was four and a quarter percent. As this, of this time last year. This time last year. So twelve months removed. So what I wow. what I tried to do is put a calculation together of. Of, of what you led to about simple interest over the course of the time of the mortgage, and then also the buying power that it has created for, for, for buyers right now. Um, right. You talked about short supply and demand and all that stuff, and, and we've been doing this a long time together, and we've both seen both of that swings up and down. Um, yeah, so, sure. you know, when you, 
in, in these, I mean, and these were real hard numbers, not they're factual numbers that you plug in to look at. Right. right. A $250,000 mortgage last year at four and a quarter. And I wrote down some notes, so I made sure I got it right. The principal and interest amount on that particular mortgage was $1,225.49. Okay. okay. 30 years of interest was $193,000 roughly. Okay. okay. Versus today. And I did this at 2.75. Okay. That's what mortgage rates are today. The principal and interest amount was a thousand thirty-seven dollars and twenty-three cents. Wait, so so north of two hundred dollars a month savings? Yeah, hundred and ninety-two dollars and twenty-six cents per month. Okay. okay. That buyers are borrowing today at the same loan amount. What's even better right. about that, you know, that that I always talk to our our clients and our and our loan officers about. You know, you're, you want to be the loan officer for life. You want to do someone's mortgage. You want to do their kid's mortgage, their grandkids. And you do that by cre- helping them with creating a wealth plan. It's not about right. this particular deal. But the thing that is so great about this, the interest on the rate today is $123,000 over 30 years. Nearly $70,000 of more wealth in that right. person's pocket. Now, there's a, some assumptions that you know, they live there 30 years, make their payments and all this stuff. But even at the break-even point, buyers today are going to be in a better position at the five and six-year mark if they go to sell. And that's what really just, it blows me away that that we're in this right now. Yeah. No, I, well, that that's incredible. I mean, if you just talk 200 a month, I mean, 250,000, assuming a 20% down payment is a $300,000 purchase, which if you look at where our market is moving, you know, I always make the assumption and we make projections in our business. I always talk to our agents, don't make goals, make projections, right? Um, and that's just because the goal in and of itself, I think has become, um, you know, a little a little too kind of ambiguous. It's a little too, it's, it's not, not enough concrete. Um, you know, it's not, not concrete enough. So when you project based on 200,000, that makes the numbers nice and round, but very soon this market is going to require that we make projections based on 300,000, the way prices are inclining. So, um, that's a 20% down payment. That that's a, that's, that's the, the, what we call the chunky middle of the market. A $300,000 sale with 20% down, maybe a slight move up purchase, but that's $200 a month. That's $2,400 annual. And even even if you only stay in a home for for four years, that's near $10,000 in equity that you will roll into the next purchase. Um, I mean, you're on your way to you know, that 20% down payment for the next move up purchase just by the interest savings alone. And I think that's, I think that's really impactful and kind of really represents the core of what we're talking about. Now, at the same time, there's a whole lot more sales in the market of 500,000 than there used to be. And when you take, you know, 500,000 borrowed, now you double those numbers. Okay. We were talking, you know, this in essence, Brian is what a third you're saving a third of the interest you would have paid in if you would have bought if you buy in September of 2020 versus September 
of 2019. Now, obviously, you gotta you gotta consider price increases and that kind of thing. That's that's really impactful. Um, but I want to come back to your wealth plan idea um, because I'm not sure that enough of your colleagues in the mortgage industry, and for, I, and I know for a fact that very few of my colleagues in residential real estate sales and marketing think this way. Um, but you know, a, a lot of people, a lot of um, financial planners would say that no more than twenty percent of your net worth should be home equity, right? That's one fifth. I think that's, but that's a goal. And again, I think that the American public generally falls kind of probably woefully short. It's probably more like fifty or sixty percent of net worth because of consumer spending and you know where we're at nowadays. So I think that makes it all the more reason that you have to maximize home equity. I mean, what do you think about that? The same thing. And, and, you know, we're, we're talking a 250, $300,000 purchase is, is more than likely the second purchase. You know, it's, it's not, yeah. not typically your first time home buyer. You know, that's right. what we see a lot is that price point of, you know, hundred to 160 is that first timer. It right. still has the same effect for that person. And, and like you said, that leads to the next part of it and the next wealth plan. And, you know, even if it's, I, I agree with you hundred percent that probably 50 to 60% of the people are, all their eggs are in that basket. And until right. they get to the end, you know, a little bit farther in life, a little bit, you know, more wise in the, in the gray hair in your beard, um, you know, you, you start, looking at other options. So, so for somebody that is new to the market or somebody that is looking to move up, I just don't know that I've seen a better time in 20 years because of yeah. those factors on, you know, month, I always talk to our guys about monthly savings, you know, on, on, you know, cause right now everybody's calling to refinance, right? We right. have, we have continually held at about 71% purchase here. And that is, some by choice, some by, you know, we want to make sure we take care of people that we've taken care of before, right? Right. So, right. Um, you know, the, it's not so much, we talk people out of refinancing all the time. Sure. I, or I feel we do. Because it doesn't, it's not good for them. So we want to make sure that we're doing something beneficial for them. Now, is it a great time to refinance? Sometimes for the right situation. But it's not the overall, everybody thinks all anybody's doing is refinancing and staying in their house. We've had yeah. more purchase purchase volume in the last two months than, than we have in a long time. So it's, you know, aside from making that transition and, and building that equity in the next step, I think it's our job to make sure that we educate people on that as well so that they understand why it's so good, which, you know, obviously the reason for the, the show today. Well, and you know, anybody who listens to me, I kind of wax poetic quite often about, you know, the, the idea that the mar so the counter to this would be, well, okay, I understand you, Jay. I understand you, Brian, uh, rates equate to savings over the long term, And certainly it's 75,000, I think is the number you quoted earlier or 200 a month or whatever, 200 a month for 36 months, $7,200 is, is not 75,000. Um, 
So, so the counter is that, well, I'm not planning on staying in my home long enough. And, you know, I had this conversation with a group of agents just before we jump on the call today and really trying to back into a scenario where overpaying would lead to an unwise decision financially was very difficult to find. You know, we assumed, you know, pay, overpaying by 5% equals 25000 on a $500,000 or, uh, yeah, $500,000 property. So, you know, $25,000 overpayment plus stay in the house. Uh, you know, we only get 2%. I mean, there's there's been maybe two years in the last 100 where we've seen depreciation. That would have been 2008, 2009. Um, so presuming that doesn't happen and you see, you know, instead of the, the average 4% appreciation per year, per year, you see 2% over the next few years. You know, still, if you overpay by five and you, you get two for the next three years, you're out of the hole. Right. If you count, you know, six to eight percent of sale cost, you know, add three or four more years to it and you're out of the hole. Um, but more than likely, we're going to see those average appreciation rates versus, you know, a serious correction. This is not 2008. This is not 2009. This is not the Great Recession. Um, maybe we thought in March that it might be, but. It, you know, you go back to the fact that, and, and you'll know this very well because I know a good segment of your business um, in those years was new construction. And and I think you could be someone to certify that new construction has not returned anywhere near what it was in the lead up to 2008, right? So what we have done is we have 75 millen- uh, million millennials. We have... Uh, you know, subpar building, we have family formations and families being created from those 75 million people in this country. And we don't have new housing being produced to keep up. Simultaneously, you don't have baby boomers downsizing at the rate expected. They're aging in place. Uh, some of them refinancing and and pulling equity to to modify their home so that they can live on one level, potentially. But those homes are not coming to market. So in the previous three years, we've grown accustomed to a three to four-month supply in terms of absorption rate. Anybody that's listened to the show knows absorption rate. I talk about it profusely. Now we're at one 1.5-month supply, Brian, 50% of what we've grown accustomed to, which is already short. So the, the truth is that alone is going to drive appreciation over the next couple of years. So a short-term purchase, I guess I'm taking a long way. This is this is my my SOP, right? My standard operating procedure. I take a long time to make a very, very direct point. You're not gonna make a bad purchase. You're not gonna make a bad purchase. Right? Don't overpay by 20%. But how 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 difficult is that to do? It's hard. Your agent has to be asleep at the wheel. So anyway, and and your lender might have to be crooked because they're not going to appraise it for that. You and I have have dealt with our fair share of under appraisals. Um, anyway, uh, we'll we'll leave that there. I think that's probably not a good conversation for you and I to have. Well, and one thing to to add to one of your points earlier about two thousand and eight, you know, when we saw this massive appreciation, this over inflection of price point, and everything else. There were rules and regulations put in place back then that it's almost impossible for this to happen again. I know that sounds it's impossible to happen, but there are so many checks and balances now that we go through as a lender 
that appraisers have to go through as a lender. It just adds to the point that you can't make a bad purchase. Right. You can't, you know, like you said, unless you're just completely in left field doing. If you're paying cash, really, if you're paying cash and you're asleep at the wheel, but most people that pay cash, they don't fall asleep at the wheel, you know, but here, here we are not, I'm not going to make this political and neither of us are going to go are going to go there. But, you know, we're just just post uh, first presidential debate last night. Sorry and, to interrupt and, you. And, please don't. Can I talk over you? Because you can. <laughs> OK, I see. I see what you're doing. That's good. That's, that's good. OK. No, no he didn't. Don't. No, um, you don't. Yes, you do. You never did that. Okay. That's all that that's all that's all it was. But anyway, I guess my point is a lot of what you hear from the incumbent is about deregulation, right? Freeing up markets. And yes, the markets have been freed up and yes, the economy has reacted, but not in mortgage markets. Okay. You know, Dodd-Frank is still in place, right? We don't it is not the Wild West that you and I once, you know, worked amongst. And and mortgage regulation, there's 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 no foreclosure crisis looming. Maybe forbearance is a little bit of an issue. And yes, there gonna, there's going to be some people that lose their home behind forbearance that didn't understand what they were opting in for, and that is really tragic. Um, but the truth is, is they have options like they didn't in 2008 because you know they're not over leveraged. They're just underwater because they lost a job and couldn't make payments but the fact is the banks are more more opt uh more apt to opt for that's a weird combination apt to opt they're more uh, apt to allow you to short sell your property you've got more equity the market is brisk it is it is you know desperate for inventory you know there there are workarounds that exist today that didn't then and so you know kind of tying this all back in Brian I think what we found is we've got that black swan over here, right? That was that was COVID nineteen, that really kind of put us on really uncertain footing. But we've also got this like the 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 pink elephant in the room, which is that essentially, it's probably the first time in my career, and previously you said the same thing in twenty years, where we can see buyers and sellers both have optimal conditions for opting to transact real estate. And I think personally, it is incumbent upon us as professionals to, to put out that narrative because a lot of people don't understand that specifically sellers. They don't know. I think they're scared to death to bring their home to market because they have no idea where they're going to move. And, and the idea is simply, and it's gridlock is what it is. It's gridlock. 1.5 month supply is gridlock. If more sellers bring their homes to market across the board because they're not fearful of where they go next, then there's going to be more to choose from for everybody in the market. What are your thoughts on that? 100%. Um, you know, we we've got we run a list of you know, 120 to 130 people per month that are that are pre-qualified and ready to go. And that kind of churns, you know, on and on. It has shrunk a little because of some of the things that you said. People are concerned and worried. You know, they call and they're, they're, they get going and the first one doesn't pan out. Then they go, right. oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? Then they kind of get cold feet and they need to understand that 
you know, it's just a good time to buy and a good time to sell. So have your agent do some homework, be ready to go and make a good offer. Yeah. I mean, I think if that, you know, the, the preparation part, I think is more key now than, than it has been, you know, for a long time, you know, and that goes with, you know, kind of fi fine tuning what, what somebody wants to buy, fine tuning and understanding the financing part of it and understanding. I mean, it, it's, you know, it sounds like a, the song and dance. We just, we've been saying that for 20 years too. Get them ready. It's a good to time go. to buy. Make sure they're go. It's a good time to buy. Make sure they're ready to go before you go out and waste time driving around being a taxi driver. You know that kind of thing. Now it's just there's not as many homes right yeah. now going on, but it's still the same narrative. You know, it's it's a good time to buy. You just got to be prepared to do. It. Like I don't know how 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 far rates have to go because you know literally we and, and and this is it's been a true statement. Since you know 2011, I don't know what are those rates. We were talking about that before the call. Okay, so listen, rates dipped to average in 2012 of 3.66 percent. So let's say at least eight years. It's been true when we've made the statement rates are stupid low. 3.66 is stupid low. 2.7 is asinine. Okay. But I don't know how much more rates can go before people believe us. Yeah. You, know, mean, you remember what we, what we talked about right before when you first got in? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, 6.875 6 on a 30 year mortgage. I know. You know it, and our parents even will go, I'll go even further. My mom and dad had a mortgage on their house at 16%. For like 22 years before I got into doing this, it's, I mean, they never even thought about it. Never yeah. even thought. About it. So, so the month I was born, November of 1981. I'm gonna make you feel old for a second. Sorry, Brian. <laughs> hey, I, I I turned 39 next month though, dude. I'm almost I'm almost in the in the 40s. Uh, the month I was born was the apex of interest rates in the history of our country. Like there was, it was the highest month. Uh, on record for interest rates, November of 1981, fun fact. Uh, but in 2000, 2000, average interest rate annual, 8.05%. It's 20 years ago, 8.05. Like pretty incredible. So like, you know, for, for those of you that have been in the business for a period of time, I mean, you may remember those days. And we sold houses. We sold houses. We made mortgage loans. People did. It wasn't the end of the world. Um, now it's like, I'm afraid rates are going to go to 4% and people are go back to four and people are going to think we're on the precipice of a recession. I just don't get it, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Okay. So, um, let, let's, let's real quick before we, before we adjourn, Brian, give us, give us the state of the mortgage industry in terms of processing, because we're hearing a lot that extended, extended turn times. I don't want to get too heavy into it, but what are you guys? I know, I know you're the best of the best in the market. So tell us where Century's at. Yeah, we we're at about 24 hours turn time after submission, which is pretty incredible with the volume that's going on right now. So what we are trying to do more than ever right now, you've got to get your buyers and borrowers to get their information in. As yeah. soon as it comes in, we are underwriting files with income and credit kind of underwriting right now, waiting on appraisals and titles because those are third party people. Sometimes it, you know, they're busy too. Not sure. saying that that's anything terrible, um, but as, as volume goes up, 
obviously everybody's work volume goes up, you know. Sure. So we are we're averaging about 26 days from submission to close. Submission okay. is typically day five of, after we okay. receive the contract. Um, you know, home inspections, you know, in, in and out of that sometimes may, may skew that number sometime through negotiating. Um, but, you know, we've been, we've been really fortunate with the staff and, and operations people that we have that we've been able to, I mean, we're, we're probably going to have to take them for pizza and beer and a whole lot of food at some point when, when we ever get to have a breath. Do it like Jeff Ruby's takeout at 7 something. p.m. on a maybe stop. yeah yeah go drive down put it in the back of the car and bring it back to him or something yeah <laughs> um, but been you know there. it's it's been you know there's there's some talk oh they're taking you know the biggest I think the biggest hurdle hurdle that we've had has been the verification of employment part you know because they're okay. you know because of some of the the COVID concerns and the, and the you know people being furloughed we're doing an employment at the beginning, the middle, 48 oh, hours yeah. per hour. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. you know, and that's, that's, that's really been the biggest change for us has just been that part of it because, you know, okay. people are working from home. It's hard to get verifications. Your HR staff's yeah. working, working at home. You got to wait on an email. There's not a phone sometimes, you know, and that's, that's been the biggest, uh, the biggest challenge. That that has been kind of interesting. I've I've had that experience recently with a couple of service providers that we use, not necessarily industry specific, but like you know a website company we work with. They have no they have no phone based support staff. Like you submit an email and you may you may not get an answer for five or six days. Um, that's interesting. So so if you're if you're listening to this, it still sounds like you can write thirty to forty five day purchase contracts. Okay, according to what Brian's telling you. Okay, just make sure you communicate with your lender. Um, you know, if you're having those issues with turn times, it sounds like Century is a place that you should, you you maybe should look into. But uh, th- sounds like you know not a whole lot of difference than from what we're used to in the thirty to forty five. Probably add, you know, make it a forty five to sixty on any government loan. Forty, you know, FHA VA minimum forty five days. Consider that. Um, but yeah, so set the proper expectations with your client. That's that's really always the answer when it comes to working with service providers and what they, you know, listen to them. I think probably Brian would agree. Let's, 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 uh, comment on this, Brian, and then we'll close up shop. But I would imagine the race to refi is kind of, is kind of toned down just a little bit. We probably had that a little, a little earlier this year. Rates have kind of hovered, bounced a quarter down a quarter, but, but the race to refi this year is probably concluding right about now. Um, so, so then you, you shouldn't expect to have, you know, uh, you know, big rate drop. And then all of a sudden turn times go from, from 26 to 42 days, right? Like, because you got, because you got a thousand, you know, refi apps overnight, like we did back what first week of April, Around that time frame, okay. So, anything else that you need? I mean, this this is an all agent audience. Anything else we need to we need to know about from the mortgage side of things? I don't. I, I mean, expectations are the biggest thing. I think. I think that's that's a key point for for agents for our people. You know, just kind of laying out the groundwork. Always better to you know under promise and over deliver. You know, if I say that Thousands once around this office. I say it every five steps I take. 
I always say put yourself in the position to be the hero, right? Not the zero, the hero. You got to, you know, when you overpromise, when you overpromise and underdeliver, you're the zero. I also say don't don't take responsibility for things that aren't your fault or don't say sorry for things that aren't your fault either. That's another good one. Uh, but we'll have to save that for another conversation. Brian, I really appreciate uh, you joining us today. Obviously, folks, uh, Brian is is uh, you know a resource for you within this marketplace. Tons of experience, leads a great company at Century, somebody I've personally and our team has personally worked with for quite some time. So as, we, as always, when we bring service providers on, we try to make sure they're the best, make sure they have a wealth of information to provide to you. Uh, Brian, we really appreciate you making the time. Uh, folks, once again, we are in week two of the post-COVID reboot of Resource Real Talk about Louisville real estate. As always, you know, find us on iTunes or wherever you podcast. Uh, please subscribe. Please leave those five-star reviews. I am not too shameless to ask for a five-star review. If you're going to leave a two-star, don't leave one at all. Just call me and tell me I'm not that good at this. I would appreciate that. Um, also, for those of you that are not members of our private agent Facebook group, uh, where we share episodes, snippets, content, um, backstories, the links that we use to prepare for the show, all that stuff. There's some live content. There's some agent-to-agent kind of interaction there, which is really good. Don't forget about that. Um, you can find us real talk about or resource real talk about Louisville real estate. You can search that on Facebook. You can send me a message and I'll get you an invite. But uh, I think that's all we got for the week. Brian, thanks again. We'll see you soon, man. All right. Thanks for having me, Jay. Have a good day. All right. Peace out. All right, folks. See you next week.